and welcome to episode 55 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, December 10th, 2020. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? It's so festive over here. I have a tree with lights on it and no ornaments. That's a start. You're ahead of me. Really? We have no we have no tree yet. We were gonna go yesterday and then we didn't. And so definitely tomorrow for sure 100 percent We went last weekend and got it, which I think is a record for the earliest we've ever picked up a tree. And it is one thirsty tree. So I have been watering that thing pretty much daily. Yeah, I think so. It's it's pretty fresh. Yeah. You've got a real tree? Yeah. I thought someone so was my husband was apparently allergic. And then when we moved to this house 10 years ago and the living room is not right next to the bedroom where he sleeps, he says he can tolerate it because it's not near. Because he can avoid it. Mostly. He can avoid it. And he's mostly out of the house. So yeah, we have a real tree. How exciting. Yeah, it's been about. I think six years since we've gone back to real trees, but you know what I saw? What? I saw a program and I think it's in Britain where they do um, a rent a tree where. Oh, in the the pot. uh Uh-huh. I saw that. I think so. Yeah. I think so. And I just think that's such a great idea where you can get the, you know, the root ball and it comes in that cute barrel Mm -hmm. and you can, rent a tree for like six years and then it retires (laughs) into a field. And I just, I love that. We had a bald tree, a root ball tree when I was growing up. And then we planted it after Christmas in the yard. And when we went, when I came home from college a couple of years after the fact, and I pulled up, I noticed, wow, that tree, it, it just, grew right up against the house and was just huge they grow pretty fast the first few years but anyhow tree business speaking of needles we'll have on the needles on the easel on the table and on the nightstand and i might as well warn you all now this is our last episode of the year because we're going to take a little break and be festive and then we'll be back and it'll be 2021 and it'll be amazing right yes yeah unequivocally yes so on the needles it has been an up and down kind of fortnight well down and then up so but there has been a lot of yarny business going on I will say so what happened first thing that happened is I forgot to talk about something last time which is that I made a pair of mitts for my friend for her birthday I had like over half a skein of that Olin Donegal DK in Temptress which I made a half for another friend so it's that gorgeous green tweedy business with silk in it so I wanted to to use that up and thought I would send it off to to live with another friend um so I made some fingerless mitts for her and I used the maze pattern by tin can knits which is part of their simple collection but I've used a lot of these patterns um, and they're great they're simple they're easy but they're they've got a little something something going on so it was really nice I was gonna give it I was gonna see her around her birthday and give them to her, but our weather 
turned cold and rainy and they didn't finish drying. Like I'd blocked them just to loosen everything up and they weren't ready. So I was like, all right, whatever, I'll see her again. So then I, you know, they dried, I photographed them. I was putting it all in Ravelry. And when you put a pattern in Ravelry, it throws up a list of all the other times you've done that pattern. And as I was looking at all the other times I've done it, I realized I made the same pattern for her last year. Different yarn, same pattern. So I decided, huh, maybe I should give these to someone else. Oh my so gosh. So it all worked. That's, that's his. But then it was like, I know. So apparently I do think this is a good pattern for her. And this is my go-to birthday gift. So, so luckily I did not like give her the same thing two years in a row. Different yarn, totally different yarn. But um, so instead I made the Cloud Strike Cowl by Kino Knits. And luckily I, I also realized this right around thing. It was after we last recorded um, and it was during the indie gift along buying time. So it's like 250 independent designers have a massive sale like during the week around Thanksgiving and then they have a knit along where you are making gifts for people and you can post things and win prizes and trivia. I don't know. There's all sorts of things going on. Super fun. And I participate in it off and on, but I did manage to hit the sale. So that was exciting. So I got the cowl for, I don't know, 50% off or something. And it's a really cute pattern. She is very into the process and like what you're knitting. The yarn I used has been in my stash since 2010. So I'm also doing a really good job of using a stash. Punta Yarns Marisoft Baran in the lovely named colorway HP72. It is whites and blues and gold. So it's kind of Golden State Warriors colors. And the friend is a fan. So I thought it would be good. Plus, it's just a lovely colorway. So the pattern calls for worsted weight yarn, which is a little bit smaller. So I had to mess with the numbers a bit, but not that much. But it has rib top and bottom, and then the ribbing goes into like a zigzag that's about, I think it's 12 rib stitches wide. No, it's more than, I don't know, 12 to 20 rib stitches wide. I can't remember how many. So it looks really cool, but it doesn't take that much effort on your part. So I finished that up in a day. And then I looked at it and I realized because I had fudged the numbers, the ribbing didn't flow back into the ribbing at the top. So I'd rip all that out. I mean, it was it was probably six rows of Aran White yarn. So it, again, took an hour to redo. But Still, it was just, Yeah, it was like, ugh, I cannot get anything right right now. <laughs> well, that was a little frustrating. And then my Atlantica. The saga continues. This is my sweater that I did four inches of one-by-one one ribbing. I was so excited to start the patterning. I did. I sat down. It was Saturday. Started doing the patterning. And this is this sweater is about 210 stitches around. So there's a lot of knitting to be done. And the patterning is beautiful. It's so much fun. There's lace, there's bobbles, there's twisted stitches, cables. It's going to be incredible. You could not see any of it on the yarn I had chosen. So I had done about three rounds and I was like, this is just not going to work. Why? So the problem is because I had the yarn that I really wanted to use that was like uh, the dark violet blue from Biche Bouche. And then I needed to hold a double with something. And the only thing I could find that was enough of that I thought would actually look well with it was a light gray. 
And this, one of the samples was in a blue and a gray, but I think they were much closer blue and a gray. And this is really contrasty. So it's a purple and almost white. Oh. There's just too much contrast. And I mean, if you kind of got up close and looked, you'd probably be able to see there was a pattern. But I looked at some of the samples of that other people had knit, or not even samples, just other people that had knit the pattern. And most of them did solids. And you could see the pattern and it's gorgeous. And I just knew that if I kept on, I was, it was not gonna, it was not gonna, I was gonna put all that work into it and you wouldn't really be able to see it. And it wasn't going to make me happy. And it's well, a lot of knitting. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be yeah. able to see that work. Um, and I really enjoyed the knitting of it. So I don't mind knitting all of that, but I want to be able to see it. Well, now you've had a, a <sighs> rough draft. Yes, exactly. And I think I actually have some yarn in my stash. So I went stash digging. I was like, I've got to have something. And I found Three Irish Girls Kel Sport. So it's a sport weight. So I think it should work out to be about the same amount of yarn in a colorway called Canyon, which again has been in my stash forever. Are three Irish girls still around? They are. They've changed owners a couple of times and dyers, uh, but they are still around. Interesting. All right. So the saga might continue even more. I thought I had four skeins of this. I do have four skeins in Canyon, but in my Ravelry stash, it says that one of them is a sport weight and the other three are an MCN fingering. Uh oh, <sighs> that's too bad because it's a lovely like pinky color. Do you have that would have been quantities of yarn that you could knit an entire sweater with? I do. I have several. <laughs> Although this is three skeins is eleven hundred and forty yards, so that might be enough. I just need to make sure that I am knitting with um, all of the same type of yarn and that I did my gauge swatch with the type of yarn that I actually want to use. So it's interesting. All right, well, stay tuned. <laughs> I, could, I haven't restarted because I've been working on other things, but uh, huh, okay, good thing I, I checked. But yes, 2010. 2010 is apparently was a big year for yarn and now I'm using it all. So that's kind of exciting. But after that, things have been going well. I've been working on the vanilla latte socks for my dad, and those are almost done. I have about, I think, like five rows and a toe left on the second sock. So we're going to pretend those are done. And <laughs> those are in the Sanguine Griffin Eidos in the colorway, a letter concerning toleration, which is greens and browns and lovely things. Oh, yeah. I, speaking of socks. Mm-hmm. I saw a pattern for clog socks. So they're like ankle length and they have like a little tab on the back. It's nice. a sock that I might actually wear. <laughs> I think that's noteworthy. <laughs> it's the tab at the back that really sold me. But anyway. I like it. Are they socks that you would wear? Or are they more like slippers? Oh, socks that I would wear. I would do them in the absolute thinnest possible material. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing those. We'll see. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, so those are coming along. I screwed those up at some point too and had to redo them. Oh, I screwed up the columns. I forgot it was supposed to be a garter stitch column and I was doing it as straight reverse stockinette. So just purling instead of purling a row and knitting a row. But I... On, on both of them or just one? Just one. Like I had done oh. the first one and then I 
started the second one. It's like, oh yeah, I got this. I know what the pattern is. I don't need to look. And then I got partway, I got like 10 rows into the patterning and thought, mm, something doesn't feel right here. <laughs> so again, not, not the worst, but just, it was a rough week last week. That little post Thanksgiving knitting series of disasters. But then things have been going really well. We started December, which means both of my advent calendars kick into play. So the first one is the Adventurnome by Sarah Shira, who's Imagine Landscapes. And I got the kit from the Loopy U. And in case you were wondering, I got the Christmas kit. <laughs> there were two kits. There was like a winter themed one and a Christmas themed one. And I could not remember which one I got. And the only the difference was the yarn. So you get yarn for your pattern and little goodies. And I think there's 12 packages total. So there's four colors. So I think four of them are yarn and the other are little goodies. They're really cute goodies. Um, and you get the pattern comes out every day, but only every other day is knitting. And it's a gnome, so it's small, but you're getting 12 clues. So it's super manageable and very chill. And it's going to be adorable. And it even took me a couple of days to realize what kit I had got. I thought I'd open it up and know because it'd be yarn and I'd be able to tell, except the first day was white and it was the same for both kits. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I still don't know. And then I opened it up on this third day, I guess, was um, more yarn and it was blue. I thought, oh, I must've gotten the winter one. But then I looked, it was like an aqua blue. But then I looked and she said, you got the Christmas kit. This should be aqua yarn. And if you got the winter one, it'd be navy. It's like, oh, okay. I guess I got the Christmas one. That's fun. <laughs> so extra excitement in my gnome knitting. That's that's just the greatest. I'm still looking for an art equivalent of an advent calendar. And nobody, I did find an ink one, but nobody does like <laughs> advent for gouache painters. You need to invent one. It's crossing my mind. If you set it up now and then you could have it ready for next, next fall. Yeah. Although I guess then you would know what it is. Well, it depends. Something to think about. It is. So then the other one is my white elephant mystery knit along, which is a, a collaboration between Forbidden Fiber and Afifa, um, who I've knit some of her patterns as well. So that when you get a box and there were... 18 little wrapped packages, each one in a different type of paper, which blows my mind. I mean, they must've had to hand wrap all of the packages, which is craziness. And there's also six additional packages that are individually wrapped of treats. So if you get behind on your knitting, you can take a day off and open in a treat or you could just save all the treats for the end. I've only opened one of the treats so far, even though I'm completely behind on the knitting because you get 20, 20 grams a day, which is like a fifth of a skein of yarn. It's a lot of yarn. It's a lot of knitting for one day. So I'm just kind of going with the fact that I'm not going to finish it and I will enjoy finishing it off right after Christmas. I think that'll be, it's probably what's going to happen. But the idea, it's like a white elephant or a Yankee swap, one of those things where you pick a package, open it up, do your knitting. And on day two, you open another one. And if you like it, you can use it. If you don't think it looks good next to that. You can open a different one and so on and so forth. So far, I've liked how they've all looked. The first four days were all kind of 
traditional Christmassy colors. So they, I mean, red, reds and greens, they all kind of went with each other. And then a white. And then I got purple. I was like, whoa, what is this? Or lavender. But it looks really good. So they're all continuing to work. I haven't had to swap them out yet. So we'll see. But now I am kind of behind. So if I feel like I want to swap, I have a lot of a lot of options. I'm working on my shawl. It's a lot of knitting. So that's kind of my evening knitting. I'm working on the gift knitting during the day. And kind of save that for, you know, maybe an hour or so of quiet time at night. But I am really enjoying that. And I am glad, glad that I got it. So yeah, so that that is what is going on in the knitting world. I'm sorry to hear that you had some challenges last week, but I have to say for the slow, worried knitter in me, it makes me feel a little better. (laughs) (laughs) There are always issues. They're never not. And I heard once, and I can't remember if I've said said this before, but somebody said like, you know what? It just means you get to use that beautiful yarn again. So I try and embrace that, that theory. It's like, yep, I like knitting. So I should not be upset about redoing it. But I do also like having the finished objects. So, Well, I have been wearing my color love shawl scarf around, like on my walks and that kind of thing. And boy, it's just it's so great. Okay, on the easel, we wrapped up Gwashbember after Thanksgiving, which is just always such a great project. And I did miss a couple prompts, but... I'm usually pretty good about going back in and finishing those. It's mostly a timing thing, not an inspiration thing. So Gwashvember 2020 is in the book. I think I filled a sketchbook and a half. And then for the play along group things, I'm doing the Birds in December with Blue Shine Art. And her prompt list this year was really good. There's some absolute favorite birds on it. I'm really looking forward to doing, there's a a puffin coming up um, in a couple days and Christmas day is a kingfisher, which is one of my favorite birds. Oh, the bohemian waxwing. I love cedar waxwings. It's like one of my favorite, favorite birds. The tips of their wings look like they're dipped in wax and it's like bright yellow and red. So I just think that they're very distinctive and their eyes have this black coloring around it. And it looks like they're wearing like a superhero mask. I just think they're really cool birds to paint and look at. The The challenge for me with the birds in December is the background. I, I feel like I want to paint the background. And so sometimes I do. And if I don't paint the background, then they're kind of a more useful illustration because then I can scan them and put them in other projects like like I did with this calendar. So for the past two years, I have written and illustrated a Christmas chapbook, which is just a small self-published book that I sent out to friends and family for Christmas time. And so I wanted to try something different. One of my goals for this year was to make a calendar And so my husband kind of, well, he didn't kind of, my husband suggested that I do the calendar and send it out to friends and family, which has been so great because I built the calendar in about two and a half weeks. I used a lot of 
images, illustrations that I already had painted from the past couple years. And then I painted maybe about 30 other images. And I know that sounds like a lot, but I wanted to have little spot illustrations in those opening spots on the calendar at the beginning and at the end of each month. You know, there's like always a little space there or generally. And I wanted, and I redid some illustrations for the, the main image above the calendar grid. And I shipped those off and I had them professionally printed and they came back a week ago, not even. And I'm really happy with the print quality and just the, the overall production. It was so worthwhile to do that and make that investment in the project. And then I hand painted the envelopes. So I personally send out about 150 Christmas cards every year. And, and I, for the past few years, have been painting a little something on the face of the envelope. And um, the first year was an acorn and last year were the mushrooms. And this year I went like super fiddly and did this red pencil that says cheers on it. And it took a little bit longer than previous envelope painting sessions. And so oh all week, uh-huh. It was the mushrooms? Oh yeah, because the mushroom, I could just eyeball it and go. And mm-hmm. everybody's mushroom was really different. The, the pencil has, you know, straight lines. So I, I had to build a little template and they're a little more fiddly for sure. And there's definitely more components. I think there's, I keep forgetting. I think there's like 13 individual colors in the whole thing. Wow. So it's, t- you're touching that 13 times. That's roughly. Yeah. I would do the math on that, but I was a history yeah, major. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's like one of my favorite things to do is to do these. I just think that that's, it's just so fun to, to do those for, for the front of the envelope. And I know that 90% of them, maybe more will be recycled, but. Oh no, not in this house. Well, it's just the envelope. It's okay. Nope. So I have been watching West Wing. I, I normally never bring the iPad into the studio, but I, it's really, it's a long sort of assembly line process. So I've been watching West Wing while painting Cheers red pencils. I did listen to a couple audiobooks too during the the whole stuffing and assembling of the Christmas cards. And then my other project right now is every year I keep an advent book. It's more like a family journal where I tell the main story of our day or remember a Christmas story from years past. They used to be much more involved and scrapbooky and now it's This one is like a traveler's journal, which I did for, I think I made one for you for your Vancouver trip or your Canada trip. So it's just um, a little folio with pages for each day and, you know, things we want to see and do this month and December by the numbers, which is inspired from the Allie Edwards stuff. Um, I did have to build this totally from scratch, 
but I've made a lot of thicker ones before for our trips like to Italy, which was the three week trip. And so I just modified that traveler's journal to make it work for this year. And I will cut little scraps of the Christmas paper and put it in, you know, so that we remember which wrapping paper we liked or laughed at this year. It's just a nice way to remember the season, especially with teenagers who are not keen to have their pictures taken. And it's just a yeah. quick way for me to keep these memories. That's lovely. I like yeah. that. I mean, it is kind of a, a journey. It's your journey through the month. So yeah. Really, yeah. I think you made that for our Alaska trip. Oh, right. Right. That's the easel. What's on your table? Nice. Oh, we've had some good thing. I made the turkey lentil chili that you talked about last time, except I used the ground impossible meat because, because I did, <laughs> we didn't have that much turkey left over by the time it was time to make it. So I, I went with it and it was, it was quite delicious. I think I fudged with the amounts as well because it did seem like a lot of lentils. And then I, I, served, agree. I served it with rice as well. I think it would be fine, but we would have had a lot of leftovers which is not a bad thing, but I didn't feel like we needed quite that much. Anyway, but yeah, it was really good, super easy. People seemed happy with it. And then I made a roasted red curry squash with tahini greens and almonds from Heartbeat Kitchen. My produce box had red curry squash, which is um, K-U-R-I. The person that's in charge of it was saying how much she enjoyed that. So I thought I'd try it did a search for recipes and this one came up. It was pretty simple. You just slice and roast the squash and then served it with kale and I think Marcona almonds as well. And then you make a, like the dressing from tahini and with lots of lemon and thinned out pretty much. So it was more of a dressing and not like a dip or anything. And it was pretty delicious. So I really like that one. The, the squash was pumpkin-y. So you could definitely use any other kind of squash with it as well. But I liked, I liked the tahini dressing and, and the combination of, of the greens and the squash was, was quite delicious. And then the almonds gave it the crunch. So that was nice. And then I've been getting back into the Vegetable Kingdom book because we did it in the spring and there were sections that I just didn't get to because it was all the root vegetables and squash and whatnot. So I've been working, working on that. I made the roasted parsnips with onion sauce. Parsnips were fine. The onion sauce was awesome. I think you could totally serve it over chicken or something. It was really good. You caramelize the onions and then blend some of them with something, probably broth. <laughs> I can't remember. And then and some mustard, I think. And then you mix it back in with the, the rest of the onions. I think there were chopped up peanuts that were in there. So it was a very interesting combination and totally delicious. And then two nights ago, I made, there were so many things involved with this. There were, it was supposed to be grits, but I kept forgetting to buy grits. So it was polenta. And then you make a sunchoke puree because I love sunchokes now. Have you had sunchokes? Yes. This is new to me. They, they, you know, had them. I decided to try them. It's like the heart of an artichoke without all the work. Totally. Why did I not know this? Yeah. I don't know, but they aren't, I, I don't think that they have um, a very long season. Hmm. That could be kind yeah. of like fiddlehead ferns. Oh, okay. So it's good <laughs> that I am taking advantage of them. So yeah. So the first time I had them, I think I just roasted them 
and everyone was like, wow, these are really good. So then this recipe called for Ayacote Negro beans from Rancho Gordo, which just came back in stock. So I had those, it had the Sancho puree, and then you make a tomato, he calls it a gravy, I guess it's sort of like, it's a tomato sauce and you throw the beans in there and mix the puree into your grits or polenta in this case and top it with the gravy. So it was, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of steps. None of it was terribly complicated. Um, kind of like the onion sauce. And I think that was one of our comments about the book is that it's definitely a chef's book. It is not 30 minutes on a weeknight. You have to really look at the recipes and either be prepared to make changes or just accept that it will be a lot of steps and that you're going to be in the kitchen for a while, but totally delicious. So that's been fun getting back into that. Um, I'm looking up this. Uh, I was looking up the sunchoke growing season, and I guess it is a fall and winter thing, but I did not know that it was a tuber. Hmm. I did not know that. Anyway. Cool. They're yeah. delicious. They are delicious. So I was excited to find those two recipes that make use of them. Or the first one was just a basic roasting. I don't think we did anything special to them. And then I made my grocery store only had like a giant bag of cranberries when I went. And you you don't need to cook the whole five pound bag for four people's Thanksgiving dinner. So I still had all these cranberries left. So I made Smitten Kitchen's cranberry pie with thick pecan crumble. I loved it. Boy two loved it. The people that don't like cranberries in my house or aren't as fond of cranberries were like, meh, it's cranberries. <laughs> so your mileage may vary depending on how much you love cranberries. I mean, it is it is straight cranberry because I was trying to find a way to use them up. And most of the dessert recipes are like mostly pear and then you throw in a few cranberries and that was going to do me zero good. So this one is a pie crust. I had a, a leftover gluten-free pie crust. You cook the cranberries a little bit and then you make this huge oatmeal and pecan crumble that's about the same depth as the cranberries. As it so, should be. Yeah. So it was delicious. And, it, you know, I was like totally fine that half the house wasn't eating it because more for me. I mean, but I, I kind of, I must call foul on this because your husband is a New Englander and it's a rule that if you're from New England, you must support the cranberry industry. <laughs> I mean, he ate the, he ate the cranberry sauce at Thanksgiving and he was like, oh, it's okay. But he does not, he does not. All right. So, but I am a big fan. So I guess it balances out. And that was pretty delicious. And then I made pan-banging snickerdoodles from 100 Cookies. They are so giant and so delicious. We were very happy last night. And this morning, my husband comes out at, out of his office at 9 a.m. He's like, these are really good with coffee. <laughs> like, I'm sure they are. Uh, I also, I want to try the non-pan-banging version to see how they differ and which one is better for our household. We will see. Those I think will have to wait until the new year or at least till after the holidays because next week I'm doing cookie day. But my mom and I have divided them all up. We usually get together and knock out trays of cookies. Obviously that's not going to happen this year or at least not in the Bay Area where we are back on lockdown. So we have divided up the cookies. We'll each make, we and narrowed down the list. So we're each going to make half and then we'll swap. 
So that's fun. I think I'm just going to do cookie day for myself here. <laughs> Reasonable. I never do cookies. Interesting. You know, into Christmas. We only do them. We do that family thing where we do the sugar cookies. And then when the kids come on Christmas night, they all decorate them and we have them with tea after our Christmas dinner, but we're not gathering. So yeah, I get to, I get to make up some new thing this year. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking it was interesting. We had to narrow down our, we had to focus on which were the ones that we absolutely have to have. And my mom usually entertains a lot. So she would serve them at, you know, for parties and whatnot. And then Christmas Eve, we always have some and Christmas day, we always have some and, but that's obviously not happening. So yeah, so we don't need as many. And we had like two different chocolate caramel ones. Like, well, we probably don't need both of them. We probably don't need both of the peppermint ones. Like which ones really do we need to have to get through this season and feel appropriately festive. And then we did leave space for me to make something that's kind of my own pick. I haven't quite a hundred percent decided, but I am leaning towards the smitten kitchen confetti ones that have the cream cheese in them and all the sprinkles, but I'll do Christmas sprinkles because those were pretty delicious, fairly simple. And I don't think we have anything that tastes quite like that. That might be it, but we'll see the other ones. I might do the toffee bars because those are, <laughs> those are good as well. Yeah, that's good. That's a good round out of your selection. What hmm. is fun? table. Okay. I have not even a recipe and a story. So last time we chatted was the, the Friday after Thanksgiving. And so we had a lot of leftovers because I am part Sicilian and I way overcooked for Thanksgiving for six people, seven people. Then we had breaded chicken, which I amped up my recipe a little bit. So normally breaded chicken, I would just do egg, flour, breadcrumbs in the skillet and then finish them off in the oven. But I guess when I was doing the pork schnitzel, that recipe called for mustard in the egg wash. So this time I really turned up the volume on the breaded chicken. So I did mustard in the egg wash. I did Parmesan cheese in with the flour dusting layer. And then I did a mix of panko and Italian breadcrumbs with extra parsley in the outer layer. So they were very flavorful, super delicious, and they lasted us several days. And then we made another batch because we're chicken people. In the middle of our chicken Well, last night we had to get Chinese food because we had just had it with the chicken. But um, so one one night I was making side for the the breaded chicken and I was roasting off a butternut squash in a Pyrex in the oven. I had it on low and I put some water in the Pyrex and I went out or walk around the block. I came back in and the water had evaporated out of the Pyrex. And I know that Pyrex is kind of sensitive to heat variations. And so I took the tea kettle, which I had heated up maybe an hour or so before. So it was definitely a little bit warmer than room temperature. And I poured it, 
I just like pulled out the tray and poured the tea kettle water into the Pyrex and the whole thing exploded in my oven, like all over the butternut, like glass, all over the butternut squash, all over the inside of my oven, all, and it was like halfway in, halfway out. So there's glass in the oven, out of the oven, in the crack, in the oven door, like all over the dinner, all over the floor. It just, it was like, oh, a mess. So I can't lie. I lost the butternut squash. So there's a couple morals to this story. <laughs> like, don't do that. <laughs> um, Number one, don't do that. My mom and I had actually oh. just been talking about how everyone thinks that Pyrex is so durable, but really it those temperature swings, it cannot take. And I knew not to put cold water in it, but I really thought that the kettle would be fine. The temperature differential was too great though. And that thing really did explode everywhere. I am still finding pieces and I've super cleaned the whole thing. Cause even when you just like drop a glass, you find glass. Places yeah. This was like a big explosion. Yeah. It was crazy. Oh. So there's so many factors. Okay. Oh yeah, it was fine. I did scream because it scared me. It was really loud. And then the the glass, you know, hitting the bottom of the oven was loud. Oh my gosh. So the oven was hot. So I couldn't close the oven door. I couldn't clean the glass out of the oven until the oven cooled. It was just like, I kind of stood there like, uh, (laughs) what do I do with this? So I sacrificed the vacuum head on my little, I have a Mighty Mite vacuum and it has a a brush head. When it cooled enough, I cleaned out the whole oven, vacuumed all the glass out of it, cleaned all the floor throughout the butternut squash. And I didn't even put it into compost because there's glass in it. And sometimes they take that compost and take it to a pig farm or something like that. So I didn't, I was nervous about that. So basically all this gigantic mess cleaned everything up. We, I don't know. I think I sauteed some spinach to have with the chicken because I lost my side dish. And then I realized the oven looked great. (laughs) Like I had vacuumed out the whole thing and scrubbed the door and like dusted the I didn't realize how badly my oven needed cleaning, but the, so the upside is now my oven is really clean (laughs) and I do not, and you know, if my mother-in-law rest her soul, if she had been listening to this, she would have supplied me with a new Pyrex for Christmas because that is definitely how she operated. I do not need a new Pyrex because I have a stack of them, (laughs) but they are more fragile than one would think. That's my public service announcement, Pyrex and cold water. (sighs) So that's my table. (laughs) I'm glad you're okay. Oh, I'm fine. It was, it's more of a lesson learned. Yeah. (laughs) For the loss of your squash. Yeah. (sighs) All right. On the nightstand. So I have only read four books. Flacker. Totally. Total slacker. All right. 
but I'm going to talk about a couple extra because, because you will hear why. So the first one I read is American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson. It was really fun. It's the first book and it features Marie, who is a Black woman working for the FBI in the late 80s. And she is asked to take part in an operation against the president of Burkina Faso. So it's partially based on actual events. Most of the characters are totally made up, but I, you know, so historical fiction is what we call that, right? So I really liked it. It's, you know, it's it's written as her memoir and it goes like into back in time to how she got to work for the FBI and then what the mission is that she's involved with and what happens after. You know, there's being a woman working for the FBI, there's being a black woman working for the FBI, lots of things, just her personal relationships with people. It, it's a first novel and there were times when it felt like that. And I'm not sure if that's because it was a first novel or because it's written as a memoir and she was trying to not make it feel literary, but make it feel like someone is writing up their life story. I liked it. Lots of adventure, a little bit of romance. The opening scene is awesome. Lots of recommendations for that one. And then welcome to Fantasy Island. <laughs> all my next four books, actually next five books I'm going to talk about are all fantasy books. So feel free to skip ahead if that is not your thing. But you should explore new genres in the new year. So you should listen. Anyway, so the first one was Or What You Will by Joe Walton. And I've read some of her other books. She is more of a like Narnia, Harry Potter, or at least the ones I've read of hers where it's based in this world and we kind of connect with another world and not like a whole new planet or ecosystem or whatever. So this one... Sylvia is 73. She's a fantasy writer. She's working on her most recent book while living in Florence. And our actual narrator is, it's kind of unclear exactly what he is. He has a voice inside her head. So he's maybe a muse or one of her characters or kind of an archetype. And he is concerned because she is getting older and he wants to keep existing. If she dies, he goes with her. So his, his goal is to get them both to live forever and hop into one of her stories. It's a very meta book. You're also getting the story that she's writing, which involves like the creative voice and who is this guy? Where did he, like, what is, what is the muse? What is the relationship between the book and the writer and the book and the reader? It's really cool. The book that she's writing takes place in a city that's based on medieval Florence and is peopled by Shakespearean characters who kind of their story is not quite what Shakespeare portrayed so there's other other things going on so I really like this one as well it just it came out fairly recently or what you will by Joe Walton although really any of her books I would probably recommend although I have not read all of them but the ones I have read I've really enjoyed and then I listened to The Kingdom of Copper and I'm currently listening to Empire of Gold by S.A. Chakraborty and these are books two and three in the trilogy that started with City of Brass, which I read and really enjoyed. And that is the one where the orphaned con artist from Cairo meets up with what we would call a genie or a djinn and is spirited away to the djinn kingdom and turns out she's a lost princess. 
Uh, and so these two continue that story. There is additional intrigue and loss. Our heroine Nahri is trying to reconcile all the warring factions within the city, but no one really wants to stop the, the drama. They are pretty long books. I think Kingdom of Copper was like 16 hours of listening. Yeah. And Empire of Gold is at least that long. That's so really have, long. So you get a lot of story for your <laughs> little bang yeah. for your buck there. And they're really good. I, they're not, they, they don't go exactly where you, where you think they're going to go. There's a lot of drama. Um, not Game of Thrones level drama, but it's not, you know, it's not a clear cut good guys are going to win kind of stories. So, yeah, so I've been enjoying that. I'm, I don't love the narrator. She's very, very dramatic, even when two people are having kind of a normal conversation. So when there are dramatic scenes, it's great. She does a good job with the different voices. But every once in a while, I'm like, you can calm down a little bit now. But that's Kingdom of Copper and Empire of Gold by S.A. Chakraborty. And then I read Shadow and Bone by Lee Bardugo, who wrote Ninth House recently, which is the murder mystery at Yale, magical murder mystery at Yale. So this is an earlier series that is being turned into a Netflix series. And it's a young adult fantasy novel. Gosh, with again, a missing (laughs) orphan girl becomes savior of her kingdom. Bad guys, good guys. Who can she trust? The power in the country is with these magicians and they kind of test all the children when they're young and she apparently wasn't a magician but then she gets into a life-threatening situation and oh she's one super special sun summoner so she goes off for training and then shenanigans ensue it was pretty quick it was pretty short it's young adult so it's a little bit of an easier read but i really enjoyed it i'm looking forward to reading the rest of the books and uh checking out the series People seem to be really into it. So I'm excited about about that. And then the other one I currently started, and I'm just going to mention it because otherwise, after a month, I will have so many books to talk about, is The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin, which is an actual book from my my personal actual library. I bought this book and I cleared out my library reading queue. So I was like, I am reading this book. (laughs) So exciting. Very, very exciting. Anyway, so The City We Became is about... New York. And the theory is as cities grow and become more and more, they become alive and they have souls and avatars. And so New York has just come alive. It's the first North American, uh, first American city, but it's, there are issues and problems and bad people or bad entities are trying to destroy it. I'm only I don't know, three chapters in. There is the avatar for the whole city. And then apparently there are also people who all of a sudden become their borough. So there's like six characters. They're battling things. They don't know what they're battling. It's awesome. Her writing is so good. I'm super happy. Probably you'll want to read this book. It's great. She's a favorite around here. We all like her writing, like all four of us. I'm really, I'm enjoying it so far. Awesome. And those are my books. What's on your nightstand? I've been reading a lot. I had The Henna Artist, which you lent me by Alka Joshi. Did you read that when I was back in Connecticut? Review it? Because I don't Uh, recall your review of that. Anyhow, this is 1950s India with Lakshmi, who is a henna artist. And she is 
a very modern woman because she escaped from an arranged marriage and then went to the city and is building a life of her own. When she discovers that she had a sister, her parents had a baby when she went into her arranged marriage. So it was a sister she never knew about because when she left her marriage, the family cut ties. So her sister appears half her age and the two of them navigate an unconventional life of henna and healing. And there's a lot of very pertinent and like well-rendered discussion about choice and the choices you make and really beautifully written, loved the book. It was very, in a way, even though it was, it was 1950s, it felt pretty modern even, even now. Um, And I really liked it. This, the sisterhood was an interesting relationship and watching it evolve was, it was powerful. Just, I really liked it. Great book. Then I read Burn the Place, a memoir by Ileana Reagan, who's a chef in, in and around Chicago. And I, I actually don't, I, I don't know what drew me to this book, except that the cover has mushrooms on it. And I think that it must have just crossed my path and I put it in the queue. And I'm talking like a year ago, because it finally came from the library. You know, oh, wow. the, my, the stuff from the library that's coming now, I ordered so long ago. So this is a memoir about her more really about her life and her struggles as a woman in the Midwest who is struggling with her sexual identity and her her drinking and her passion about cooking and how it's really hard to struggle with alcoholism in that industry just because there's so much access and the nights are late and it's just, it's part of the industry, I think, to, to go and celebrate or to eat and drink. And it's so entwined in it that I'm, I imagine it must be really difficult to be somebody who struggles with that addiction in the food industry. That was interesting to read about, but really hard. And I would have loved more about her food journey. It wasn't as much about the food as it was about her relationships, but it does make me want to go and search. She's built several successful restaurants at this point. And so I don't know if she has a cookbook or anything, but I do want to do more research about her food life. Um, She is, she's Michelin starred, Milkweed Inn, Kitsune, which it, which was a um, Japanese influence. I mean, the food that they're talking about on here is like wild blueberries in juiced wood sorrel, young milkweed pods fried until the insides turn silky as cheese and mousse tartare. So these are things that I'm not necessarily going to make, but she also has a recipe for pierogi, which Maybe that's what it was, is I was looking for, I was looking for different recipes for pierogi because I thought that that might be something to do for Lemon Latitude because almost every cuisine has like a dumpling type thing. Maybe that's how I came across her. 
I don't know. I'm interested in her pierogi recipe though. Not so much the mousse tartare. Then I was painting envelopes. And so I listened to the Once in Future Witch- Witches by Alex oh. E. Harrow. And you've list. read this one. Yeah. No, not yet. It's on my list. Oh, though. this one was great. It was, um, it flew by, it made the time fly by because I was painting the whole time. And this is a witch story that takes place during the suffragist movement. The three characters are three sisters who have been split apart because they had a terrible father. There's a lot unsaid, which is probably for the better if you're, you know, reading across the lines. What the what made it a different for me which story was the treatment of that maiden mother crone trope that trope I hadn't seen it handled like this ever before and I really love how she navigated these three sisters and their their relationships as unconventional as they were during the time and there is this futuristic library that they encounter and how they're going to move forward with the suffragist movement and their witch and practical magic powers. And I loved it. It was, it wasn't like a romance type book. It, It was definitely about the sisterhood and, and their struggles, but I just really liked the whole story and the narrative just flew along and surprised me. So I think you're really going to like that. Yeah, no, it sounded good. Is she the one that wrote the 10,000 doors of January? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I haven't, I haven't read that or listened to that, but I'm very interested in her other work because this was delightful. Yeah. Then I read the pull of the stars by Emma Donahue which is her new, her latest book. And I think they fast-tracked this one because she had finished it this time last year and then things started to heat up for COVID. And it's a book about the um, 1918 plague. Yep, I've read and, this one. Yeah, and so her publisher and editors like sort of fast-tracked it to get it to the market, which creeps me out a little bit because... <laughs> It's a creepy um, book. Yeah, it was not not in like a Mexican Gothic creepy, but right, just really prescient. The main character, whose name I'm forgetting now, even though I just finished it a couple of days ago, she works in a makeshift maternity ward, and it takes place over three days' time. It's a maternity ward f- whose patients have this flu. Julia Power, Nurse Power. Yeah, good name. So she she's also forced to go it alone in a way in this ward like there's not enough doctors and everyone's sick and she's got a brother at home who's just come home from the war and he's not quite himself and she's you know that woman in wartime where she doesn't really have she doesn't really have a chance to marry because they've lost so many men and come to find out it's maybe not her thing anyway so she's committed her life to this path as a nurse and she's really good. And it was, 
it was surprisingly hard to read all of these birth scenes. Yeah. And that surprised me. I mean, it's been a long time since I've had my kids, but it was still really hard to read about labor and delivery. Yeah. Not, not that they're terrible scenes or anything, but just emotional, really well-written, evocative. And, it's an and intense book. yeah, it's For really intense. Yeah. yeah. And she has a young charge who is a volunteer and come to find out is a ward of the nuns. And this girl just breathes all of this life into this maternity ward and, and is a wonderful character. And I, I just think that the, the whole book was just crushingly good. And I read that for book group, although we haven't talked about it yet. And I'm excited to hear what, yeah, yeah. It's a good one for book group. And then because I still had more envelopes to paint. <laughs> I listened to Ask Again, Yes by Mary Beth Keene. The narrator is Molly Pope. I love it when a narrator has a British accent or an Australian accent or a New Zealand accent or whatever. That's delightful. This narrator is extraordinary. How she renders the voices, the, the story is a modern story of two families in New York City, I think New Jersey, like parts of New Jersey, Long Island. They never leave really that area. And it's a really hard book. So to sketch it out for you, these two cops are paired to get their like new recruits. They go through the police academy together. They're paired together in, I don't know if it's, I think it's in the Bronx or I, I don't know which precinct. Anyway, they spend like six or eight weeks together and one of them has a girl and the other one mentions, you know, he might want to live outside of the city and, and they end up being next door neighbors. So it's just like this random connection at the beginning. And then it unfolds into this believably unbelievable account of these two families and their ties and connections and fractures. And I, I can't, I just, I'm so terrible about summing up a book like this because not only is it incredibly plot driven, there's a tragedy that occurs and how it affects each of them is so compelling. So the plot is definitely moving everything forward, but you're getting intense depth from each character and how they've been affected by this and how their children have been affected by it. And it's, it's not just these two cops, it's their wives, it's their children. And it goes on. It's sort of, um, you know, like a 20 year relationship, 30 year relationship that we get to witness in a, in really broad strokes sometimes and then laser focused on certain parts of it. It was fascinating to listen to and I'm actually considering buying the book so that I can read it on the page because the audio version was stellar. I mean, incredibly great. And her voice, she captured the, the sort of Long Island accent of one branch of the family and the Irish accents of another branch of the family. And 
the, the whole thing is like this living, breathing book and I cannot recommend it enough. And huh. it is probably my favorite book of the year. Wow. All right. Really incredible. There are some triggerish things about it. There's a hint of a sex, well, more than a hint of a sexual assault at one point. There's some gun violence. So that stuff's tricky. However, really rewarding book all the way around. All right. I think I have maxed out my requests at the library. So I'll have to <laughs> wait till the book comes in before I can add that to the list. But sounds like I might need to, to get that one. And it's good because um, once I finish my 20 million hours of Empire of Gold, I will need something else to listen to. Yeah, it's not fantasy, though, but it, I think it will hook you in. Yeah, it will. It's um, fantasy. No, I know. <laughs> I occasionally look at other things. I want to see how long Empire of Gold is. Oh, no, it's 28 hours. <laughs> That's a lot. There's a lot of listening. Ask Again Yes was, I think, 12, 12 and a half hours. So not, it's a lot of painting, though. 28 hours is a lot of listening. That is. be able to get my Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. And then make a good start on that sweater. Sounds good. Yep. All right. So, yeah. So, again, this is the, the last last one for the year. We'll be back in January sometime, I guess, four weeks from whenever it is today. If you are feeling festive and, and holiday and want to give back to your your favorite podcasters, feel free to to go leave us a review that I'm told that helps other people find us. So that would, that would be lovely. And we would appreciate that very much. And we, we appreciate you listening to us through this crazy year. Oh my gosh. That's for sure. Cause it's, it's been a year. So I hope, I hope it all finishes well for everyone. And, and next year is better for us all. And yes. Until then, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks everyone. Bye. Trees. Yeah, I can't think of a. Oh, I couldn't think of a good segue. This is a really bad one, but it'll work. Speaking of needles, we'll have on the Bravo. <laughs> Thanks. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneynsf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-N-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.